0: What a powerful and inspiring worship it's been so far. I want to thank Eliton and Al and the worship team for leading us. So grateful. And a good Memorial Weekend uh, to you all. As uh, Ken mentioned, we are uh, continuing our series called Be Rich. And we always want to clarify when we have new people in the house, it is not get rich. It's be rich. Uh, We don't teach you how to get rich, but we teach how to be generous with what God Has given us. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll read one of our theme scriptures there as we begin part 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, is talking from Paul to his protege, Timothy, his young preacher, giving him instruction on how to lead the church. And he talks about those who have wealth, those who have extra, those who have abundance and gives him some instruction about them. And part of that instruction is to command them, not to suggest to them, not to ask them, but to command them. And it reads here to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. We're going to focus in on this word share today. Uh, Do you like to share? When you were a kid, did you like to share? Did you share your toys? Did your friends or family share their stuff with you? Did you share your lunch? It can be challenging uh, to share, uh, regardless of what species you are. All right. Maybe we're like that a little bit. Uh, As we jump from uh, animals to humans, uh, we meet a young boy eating some bacon. And uh, you don't want to get between someone and their bacon. And uh, here he's uh, playing around with his dad. But dad, as he's trying to make a move to the bacon, the son has something to say about it. It's almost like he's rubbing it in at the end right there. Mm, I don't know. Maybe that's you with your bacon. I'm not sure. But uh, the challenge for us is to share. Uh, not as animals or young people, but as adults, making decisions about life in uh, general and specific. Uh, And whereas it was more necessary to depend on your neighbor's hospitality 2,000 years ago, nowadays we can be pretty much totally independent. So sharing could easily become something that's passe. Uh, A recent survey that was done with thousands of Americans shows that Only 20% of Americans even know their neighbors. That, again, in past decades, it was even easier to go next door and borrow sugar or know who was on the floor of the building, especially in a place like New York. But the general trend is to become more self-focused, in a bubble, and not interacting with neighbors, not sharing, not connecting. Uh, We tend towards a leave-me-alone mentality. And in that uh, comes with uh, self-preservationist sort of isolationist philosophy. And because of that, the self-care market is booming. And we love to spend money on me. So a couple of stats for you to chew on. It uh, might be difficult to see, but basically what it says is the average American spends, get this, a $1.33 for every dollar earned. That's called overspending. You make a dollar, you spend more than what you have. That leads to something called debt. One in four Americans have more debt than they do savings. And only 30% of Americans even have a monthly budget. You think, okay, well, a third, that's pretty good. But then you read further, only 20%, 21% of that number actually isn't meeting the budget most of the year anyway. So a big portion of people are having a hard time with the money that they make. You say, well, I only make a little. Well, all the more. To count every penny, right? To make sure. And here's a freebie. In general, when we talk about finances and the trends of America and culture, we also have to filter and understand, okay, what do I need to be thinking as a child of God? And really, as disciples of Jesus, we're not supposed to be in these categories. Uh, But still we struggle. Still we are. I know I was. I thought a budget was seeing the balance in my checking account with my ATM receipt. Now, most of you don't laugh because maybe that's what you think too. It's not. A budget is this incredible thing to help you to be able to be disciplined with the money. And you know, the Bible does say to leave no debt outstanding, right? So we have a real challenge here in our culture and also in the church to make sure that we're being responsible and good stewards of what God gives us. Now, there's a lot of reasons why why we might be caught uh, in some of these cycles. And here's some reasons here. Uh, overspending, uh, no monthly goal, uh, easy access to credit or cash. You know, it's just I go go back to the well, keep spending, and then I get caught in debt. Sometimes it's just I can't say no. Uh, Proving your self-worth can come uh, into play. A sense of power, credit misuse, giving into temptation, spending to feel good. You ever been there? Spend something to feel good? Maintaining a lifestyle, keeping up an image. Now, these stats are not from Scripture. They're from Huffington Post and financialplan.com and other websites, but they're still convicting to me as I read them. And if we're going to be good sharers, we really have to aggressively pursue what I would call a righteously boundaried budget. A righteously boundaried budget. You know, the first century Christians started on a foundation of sharing. They believed it. It was their conviction and it was their culture. They shared food, property, clothing, and they certainly shared their faith. Let's look into what some of the convictions of the first century church were and some of the scriptures that poured out of their culture and their conviction. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the young church shared everything that they had, everything. Again, food and shelter and clothing and whatever they had. They were making sure that each other We're taken care of with the necessities of life. In Romans 12, verse 13, it says, share with the Lord's people. Again, Paul teaching, instructing, commanding, not suggesting to share with the Lord's people for those who are in need. To continue to practice over and over again what hospitality is. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it reads, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God Is pleased. You know, sometimes uh, we just need something clear and simple for us to follow. What pleases God? It pleases God to share, to share with others. You know, today Christians, I think, are fighting against two things to have this sharing mentality. And I mentioned them already, but let me highlight them. The two things that we fight against are culture and conviction. Culture and conviction. Again, it's more natural to share, not just in the past decades, but in the past millennia. You know, even just a generation ago, you have something you got to fix and you don't have the right tool. You would go next door, it was totally normal to ask for a screwdriver or a wrench. Now people say it's awkward. They say it's not normal. It's not something I feel comfortable with. I'd rather go spend money, go down to the store, buy the wrench, have it for myself, then reach out, connect with my neighbor. 2,000 years ago, it was both a conviction and a culture, especially in the Jewish way of thinking. Uh, They would wash their clothes together down in the river. That was a communal activity that they would do, connecting with one another. Communal bread ovens existed where everyone from the village would come to bake together in one place. Several families would probably pitch in for what we call a Bible. Back then, it was just the Old Testament scriptures on a scroll, but it was very expensive. And they were made by hand. And so a whole town would go in on one of these and they would share that together, read it together, digest and debate and discuss the scriptures together. They would take care of each other's kids and go to work together. They would share trade and profit. You get the idea, right? You get the idea that it was part of the culture and part of the conviction for them to share in spiritual community. I want to show you a scripture now in Romans that I want to sit on for a little bit. And this passage shows a special kind of sharing between people groups that wouldn't normally share. It says in Romans 15, verse 27, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Let me uh, talk about this for a minute. You know, the rich poor gap generally fell along religious lines in the first century. Meaning that if you meet the the average Gentile, they're usually a little bit better off financially. Elevated in societal status, culturally relevant, privileged, as we might say today. But the Jew usually was not as well off. They were a minority group. Blue-collar workers or unemployed in some cases. Lots of kids. And what we might say, disadvantaged. And... We have to really dig in on this model for our Christian community today as we look back on this little verse that has a big message. See, Christian wealth sharing from the Roman church is an amazing model for us. Not not only did they share their wealth, but they understood that the spiritual blessing that they got in return from being able to give was actually more valuable than whatever material gift they could give. And they were pleased to do it even felt like they owed it to them, thanking them, expressing their gratitude through their monetary gift for getting all the spiritual blessings in return. You know, would you say that we have a rich-poor gap in America? Yeah? Five of us say that we might? Okay. (laughs) Well, there is one. Uh, There are those that we would say are much more wealthy and then those that are much less, and there's a gap in between. There's, of course, a lot of opinions about this, But one thing that's for sure, no more wide is that gap than right here in the Big Apple. So U.S. Census Bureau's American Community Survey has found that Manhattan has the biggest dollar income gap of any place in the United States of America. The top 5% of households earned 88 times as much as the poorest 20%. Now we have the most millionaires here in New York, but we also still have 20% in poverty. 1.7 million New Yorkers living below official federal threshold for poverty. So here's how I look at this. The Big Apple Church has an incredible opportunity. The opportunity is this, right here in Manhattan, right now, maybe more than ever, to bridge the gap by showing this city a sharing culture and a sharing conviction. I don't think the city has an education enough to understand what that looks like. So here we have an opportunity with people from a lot of different people groups to be able to bridge that gap. You guys hear what I'm saying? That we show people we want to share, that it's not rigorous or difficult or a sap on our joy or our wallet to be able to give. In fact, we consider it a spiritual blessing to share that we're pleased to loan out the sugar and the screwdrivers, that we're offering it in the hallway. If you ever need a hammer, I've got a hammer. I've got a hammer. We can sing it in the morning. (laughs) That we can't wait to babysit or offer a ride or a couch to sleep on or offer our time to do whatever, to counsel, to serve, to walk next to, to go on a run to study the Bible, to get up, to go to the soup kitchen, to go to the elderly home, to go to the hospital, to go to the school, whatever the need is that we show people we're happy to meet it. That that's our conviction and that's our culture. And you know, sometimes it's good for us to check ourselves and ask, are we asking for help too? Because sometimes that's harder to do, right? You know what? I need a screwdriver. I need a wrench. Can you help me? Sometimes we like to be in the position of always offering help. Sometimes we need to be vulnerable and ask. You know, we have stellar examples of this in our own fellowship here, of course. And some people have even called me up and said, John, I want to be first on the list when people call in from out of town and say, I need a place to stay. I said, are you sure? Yeah, even if it's last minute. And they're on vacation and they bought the tickets months ago and they didn't figure out their housing. I want to be on that list. We got to forgive. (laughs) Amen. Others have gone far above and beyond from the motive of unconditional love to extend themselves to share everything. Some have decided to take on the individual joy of serving our older members, taking care of those that we would call shut in and are not even able to make church because of physical limitations. Taking them communion, taking them the notes from the message, sharing with them, singing with them. And we have some in our fellowship as well that have gone the extra distance and even adopted, adopted children into their homes, into their lives, into their families. This is a sharing culture. And conviction, and I believe it's part of the answer to the chasm that divides people groups in the city and around the world. You know, I was thinking about this concept and sometimes I thought, you know, I was thinking through examples of it and all the good that comes from sharing and teaching our kids. And sometimes it backfires on you. And I just I need to share this because we brought our kids to the Hope Orphanage in Indonesia. We've been sharing about that the last few weeks from our trip. And now our daughter, after being there just for a day, is begging us to go live there like next summer. And now, you know, we've sort of like done our best to teach our young teenager to to love those that are in you know different situations and to serve. And now she's trying to move out for the summer and I'm going, hey, wait a minute. I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of a dangerous community. I don't know if we can swing it. And I find myself backpedaling on the exact conviction I trained her to believe. Sometimes serving comes with a cost. Yeah, we got to be safe, we got to be reasonable, we got to have, you know, those boundaries as well, but the right heart is priceless to go out and to share. There's a great uh, Greek word that we've talked about from time to time. Of course, the original New Testament was written in that language, the Koine Greek, the common language of most of that world at the time, and Koinonia means in its simplest form fellowship. It's sort of the glue, the connection koinonia. It means to participate jointly with someone else. In this case, the activity of fellowship and honoring God. And back in that passage that we looked at earlier in Romans 15, 27, in one of the versions, it says they were pleased to make a contribution. You know, we use that word contribution. Al talked about the weekly contribution that we gave today to the church. We talked about the special contribution contribution that we'll be making what does it mean in our vernacular when we say we're going to make a contribution what does that mean going to give what going to give money in those contexts right guess what the word is in the greek in romans 15:27 for contribution it's koinonia say, huh, that doesn't really make sense. I thought koinonia means fellowship and connection. Now we're, we're saying what? I thought it was contribution was a money gift. The answer is yes. It's both. In this context, what Paul is saying and what God is driving home through Paul is that it's the contribution in this context that connected the Christians with each other. It connected them in koinonia. It was a joyous occasion to be celebrated, not a clinical ceremony where the baskets are passed and we throw something in or we click a button online, but that it was a big deal. It was koinonia. It was fellowship. It was the sweetest form of fellowship that they could get at the time. They gave that money gift back to the Jews, back in Jerusalem, because they had hit hard times. It says in Numbers chapter 10, verse 32, as Moses was speaking to Hobab, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. And you know, I hope that's our spirit today, that when we give, it's not coming out of our wallet. It's not about our paycheck. It's really giving to others what God has given to us. And in Proverbs 22, verse nine, the generous will themselves be blessed. For they share their food with the poor. You know, I believe that some of us really need to hear this message today and repent. That some of us have fallen into the trap of not being good sharers. We're like the kid with the bacon. No, 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 no. I don't want to give my money. I don't want to say that out loud, but I don't want to give it. So, silently, I'll hold back. Silently, I won't give my time. Silently, I won't participate. Silently, I won't give my effort. I don't want to give my heart. I'll just sit here observing. I'll stay on the peripheral and the margin and the outside because that's where I want to be. I like it comfortable over here. I'll get my church fixed and then I'll go back to doing what I want to do. But that's not going to work in God's church. We call ourselves people of the kingdom. And people of the kingdom, I'll tell you one thing, we're a bunch of sinners. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. 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 Biggest amen of the day, bunch of sinners. Yep. (laughs) We're not trying to put up front. But we will not sit in sin. We are sinners, but we're doing our best. We're making an effort. We're getting open. We're trying to please God. That's why we talk to each other. That's why we get the 360 view. That's why we get people in our lives. That's why we're praying, God, help me. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. But I don't want to stay here. I want to grow. I want to give. You know, ultimately, I think giving and sharing is a faith issue. And the more we give away, sometimes it's easier to worry about what's left over. You know, we count how much we give and then we count how much is left and we go, Oh, it's dwindling. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've heard that some even start adding up what they've given in the past. I would not suggest to do that unless it's for tax purposes. Because then you start thinking, oh, what I could have bought with that money. But then we seem to discount the miracles and the inspiration and the gift of giving itself. Now, it says in the scripture we'll be blessed, but maybe it won't be a dollar bill blessing. Maybe it'll actually be better. Maybe it will be a revived prayer life because of how dependent you are on God, because you see the dollars dwindling and it drives you to your knees. And that's a good thing. It may be that you're more faithful because you see God work. It may be the blessing of a bitter, free life because he let go of the worldliness. Or maybe learning how to just be content in the hard circumstances. Can you put a price on being content in the hard circumstances? No. Now, I want to switch gears here and talk to you about something that I recently learned that I think will help illuminate this point and inspire us as we share and give. There's something called the 1040 window. And uh, basically, the 1040 window, if you look at a world map like we are right now, is a window... Sort of a box like you look at there. It's 10 degrees north uh, of the equator and 40 degrees north of the equator. Mark the north and south boundaries. And then you go basically from left to right through Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. By the way, it's great to have uh, John Adams back in the house. I know that he was uh, months away. Um, Gave him a big hug earlier. Just welcome him back. He was uh, out in the Middle East. He's right there in the middle. Um, out in the Middle East, as he does from time to time. his an incredible uh, jazz musician performing out there. And he was in Bahrain, is that right? And he can tell you stories about what it's like out there, and he will, and I'm sure he'll be glad to uh, tell you and share with you his faith stories. Um, but there's, this is the interesting thing about this 1040 box. The 1040 box is basically also the place where, and I'll explain what this is through some stats in a minute, but where the gospel is leased, pronounced. And so I'll break that down a little bit. This is a number uh, based on a lot of different organizations that pitch in their information to find out where the money is going to support different missionaries and churches uh, around the world. And basically you see where the purple bubbles are, especially the bigger ones, is where most of the mission money goes to support Christian churches and plantings. And you see, if we go back one, remember the 1040 box? You see where it is. The 1040 box is gray, not a lot of bubbles there. So what you start seeing is a pattern that less people are giving money to this area to be able to spread the good news of Jesus. Uh, One uh, article in the World Christian Database writes that financially, we are hoarding 99% of our income to ourselves. And what little is given is mostly directed toward reached people groups. In other words, too often money is going to places where the gospel's already been heard. You know, the amount given to unreached people groups is about .001 percent of income of the Christians just in America. So for every 100,000 dollars that Christian makes Christians make in America, they give one dollar of that to areas that are unreached by the gospel. Here's a corresponding map. You can see it again. This is a different look. This is places where Christianity has been spread. And when I say uh, where the gospel has been heard or Christianity has been spread, what I'm talking about are there are Bible in local languages. Uh, they've heard about the message of Jesus versus uh, ears that have not been exposed, uh, most often, to the message of Christ. You can see again the 1040 window. The 1040 window. Particularly, I looked at some of these African nations as we were getting close to our special contribution and uh, we give uh, to several different places around the world, but uh, most of our money goes to Africa and the church is there to support. And so I was looking at this number and I, I looked at the list of all the nations and the churches that are in the African Missions Association, which is where a good portion of our money goes. And I started looking at which nations go in the 1040 window. I found six nations and several churches that are there accounting for many of the disciples of Jesus that are in our sister congregations. And I started thinking, wow, we have an amazing opportunity right here. It it makes it even a bigger deal to me that I'm able to give not only to places where we can continue to spread the gospel message, but to places where there aren't Bibles in local languages, where there there isn't someone to be able to reach out or share their faith with someone or or be able to share the message of Jesus. I thought, wow, what a unique opportunity. The education for me just to find out this information excited me all the more to be able to give on June 11th. I started looking at specific statistics. You can see through, and uh, it's a little bit of a video uh, showing where I went to look at some of these uh, matchups. So Benin is one of the nations, 11 million population, 20% people groups that have been unreached. Burkina Faso, 33%, a third, are groups that are unreached. In Senegal, 15 million people, almost half of them are unreached. Mali, 18 million people, 60% people groups unreached. Chad, another group that we support, 14 million, 53% people groups unreached. And then Niger, 20 million population, 77.8% people groups unreached. Meaning they might have scraps of Bible here and there in local tribal languages, but most often, most of the people are not getting a chance to hear about the good news of Jesus. Now that moved my heart. I want to give. On June 11th to special contribution, I believe that we as a church get to unleash an explosion of sharing culture and conviction here in New York City and showing people around, say, what are you doing? What is that you were talking about? Yeah, I'm fundraising. I'm going out. I'm doing this run. I'm raising this. I'm doing this bookathon or runathon or I'm talking about matching funds with my workplace or I'm giving my tax refund. What are you giving to? I'm giving to an opportunity for people to hear the good news. That's where that money's going. That's the impact that sharing culture and conviction can have. You know, it pleases us to be counterculture. You start sharing that story and a lot of people in New York are going to go, you are crazy. But we gladly trade the miracles of Africa for the money in our pockets. We've seen the videos, we've seen the good news, the stories of witch doctors becoming Christians. Disciples, faithful under government attack, the church growing amidst civil war. And you know, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and and we took a moment of silence. Appreciate that so much from our brother Al. And we honor those who've traded their lives for our freedom. And no one can put a price on that as we talk about this idea of money and what's valuable. The value of a life is not quantifiable. And it's not just one day a year that we show our gratitude for those who sacrificed. It's how we live our daily lives that honors them and what they did. And it's the same with how we live in gratitude for Jesus. What did Jesus share? What did Jesus give? He gave it all. He gave it all. Every drop of blood, every bit of oxygen in his lungs. So the challenge for us today is to share, is to share our bacon, to share our toys, to be willing to share with our neighbors, to connect with our neighbors, to bring a culture and a conviction back that's long past overdue right here in our nation. To share your stuff, to share your sugar, your screwdriver, your jacket, your couch, your dollars, your time, your talent, and to be faithful with the smaller things, because guess what? We're gonna be challenged to share with the bigger things too. And it says in Matthew 25, 21, I want to invite the singers back up as we close out here. But the challenge to share for us comes straight from Jesus. The master replied in this great parable, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. So come and share your master's happiness. You see, the heart of the master here, the heart of God, is that he wants to share. He's been a sharer since the beginning. Everything that we have that's good has come from the great sharer God. Amen? Amen. And ultimately, I think his goal is to share something else with us. What do you see in the passage? He wants to not just share all the material blessing. He wants to share happiness with us. Isn't that cool? That God wants to share happiness with us. And that's a more precious commodity than anything that we could come up with. I pray today and forever that we as a church, that we as individuals, will be like him, that we will share, and by sharing, that we will be rich. Amen, and happy Memorial Day weekend.